Please pray with me. Lord, we feel as if your arm is just around us. And forgive me for being so fuzzy-wuzzy. But Lord, um, we love your presence. We love you. We love to one day be with you face to face forever. And God, we look at the cross. We look at this incredible story of your kingdom come. We look at Jesus giving us life and rising again from death. And God, we can't just sit still. We can't just let that be an idea. We ask that, that it would penetrate our soul and our core, that that would transform our thinking, that that would cultivate in us a kingdom mentality that extends beyond our circle of life and our influences, but it goes global. Lord, make your presence and your glory known. And God, be exalted in not only in this worship, but in our life and in this world. Help us to understand and know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are uh, journeying through uh, the parables and um, for this kind of study, parables of Jesus are just, uh, sometimes they're very clear and sometimes they're very uh, curt. and Sometimes they're rebuking and sometimes they're encouraging. Once in a while you'll see Jesus giving a parable and then he says, he finishes a parable and he goes, if you understand it, good. If you don't, Oh, well. And then he walks away. He, the way Jesus teaches, he's not um, there to make sure everybody understands it. And a lot of the parables are mysterious. A lot of the parables are encouraging. And a lot of the parables are just simply rebuking. Today's parable uh, comes from Luke 14. And as always, you always want to see the context of the parable. So it gives you a picture. So in Luke 14, it's a Sabbath. Jesus went to a Pharisee's house, and they're having a meal. And somebody comes with swelling and this disease. And on the Sabbath, Jesus says, should I, you know, is it okay to heal? And no one responds because they're all watching. What's he going to do? And Jesus heals them. And then somebody says, and then somebody, and then as he's being noticed, Jesus notices them that at the house, he sees people jockeying for position. You know, you know what that is? You go to a party, you want to, do I sit with the host? You go to a wedding, which table are we at? I, I notice I've been doing that. You go to a wedding, and you look at the card at the reception. Am I all the way in the back, or am I right by the bride? And then, you know, so, so Jesus notices people doing that, and then he says, when you go to a party, don't assume yourself to be so important that you always go to the top, lest the host says, sorry, you're in the wrong seat go all the way back. You're, you belong here in view of everybody. So Jesus has pretty good social awareness. That'd be humiliating. So Jesus says instead, go to the lowest spot at the party and let the guests come to you and say, what are you doing here? You need to be up here where the you know, honor, guest of honor is. So that's what's going on. And then Jesus says something really interesting about parties again at the end. Verse 12 through 14. When you have a party... Don't just invite your friends or people that can give benefit to your life. You know, you have a party, uh, you know, the mayor, you know, we need a new sign for our church. Let's invite the mayor to our party. Um, you know, let's have a, we're having 
the neighbor, you know, they have a nice pool. Maybe we should be friends with them. Let's invite them to a luncheon. And Jesus is saying, invite people that can never add benefit to your life. So he gives an incredible message. So invite the crippled, the poor, and you will be blessed. And then he says, although they cannot repay you, verse 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the party's going on. And somebody, I think, noticed, man, Jesus is a downer. He just, he just doesn't have any party in him. So somebody says, tries to liven it up. Jesus, isn't it going to be great on that day when we have a banquet with God? Verse 15. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So he's trying to pick it up a bit. Isn't it going to be great? And then Jesus goes, <laughs> tell you a story. <laughs> a certain man was preparing a banquet, and he goes on to this parable today. And the parable today, um, let's explore it together. There's an important man, and Jesus is saying, the party may not be what you think. The party is like a man who had a big party. I mean, it was huge. He was having the party of all parties. How many invitations did he send out? Did you catch it? I didn't catch it on my first try. Did you catch? How many invitations did this man send out? It's so important. Two, right? Verse 16, a certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. There was the RSVP and the invite. Verse 17, the banquet was ready and it's being prepared. He sends out another invite. Servant, go out there and invite those who had been invited. So he sends out two invites. It's such a big party. Now, what's assumed here is after the first invite, people sent in their cards. Jason Coe with one guest. You know, did you ever do that? We'll be coming. So they RSVP that they're going to come. And then the day of the party, he sends out his servants. And then they go out. And then what did the guests do? One by one, they all came up with an excuse, right? Oh, we can't, we want to go, but we can't make it. So, so this parable goes on and Jesus is teaching us everything is ready. You've been invited. You. If you know about this and you're hearing this, you've been invited. Everything is ready. But this is what happened. Even after they RSVP'd, a great dishonor and disrespect that people of Jesus' time would pick up is after you RSVP'd and you don't show up for whatever reason, you're sending two messages. One is you know, I don't care about your party. And two, I don't care about you. You know, we know this because I guarantee you, and I've seen this, if somebody in our church, a close family or somebody passes away, I've seen this. You show up, even if you don't know them, but you show up because the person grieving matters. I've seen that in our church. We honor one another. That's great. So we do this even in the 21st century. If my daughter, Michelle, God forbid, gets married. I'm just kidding. I want her to get married. <laughs> I'm not like that. that she, I don't want her to live with me forever. I want, when she gets married, and then I say, Marvin, you got to come to Michelle's wedding. And then Marvin goes, all right, I'll come. And then at the day of the wedding, he doesn't show up. And I say, Marvin, we missed you at the wedding. Oh, CSI was on. They were having a marathon, and I couldn't miss it. What does that communicate? You, you could tell, right? What does that communicate? Marvin would never do that. 
he would, it would communicate, there are things more important than you and your daughter in my life. And two, you're not that important to me, period. Right? You know that, don't you? I mean, you know that. You and I know that. That's the, the way social, you know, structure works in our day. So people listening to Jesus are, are realizing, boy, there's a waste. Because when you invite hundreds of people, a big banquet like this, you don't just prepare small. If I'm going to have, like, Helen Sass come over our house, I love Helen Sass, but I'm not going to kill a full-size pig for her. You know what I'm saying? Helen, come on down. We're doing a luau. Here's a 500-pound pig for you. <laughs> Helen's going to be like, Jason, that's too much food, you know, which is, right? So I'll, I'll prepare a nice meal for one person. But if 100 people are coming, that 500-pound pig looks appropriate. Do you see the scale of difference? So there's this incredible waste, and there's this incredible insult to the host. And Jesus is probing that. So, and let's look at the excuses. There's three excuses made. First excuse, um, if you explore this, they seem legitimate, but if you really ask questions of it, it's, it's unfathomable. I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. How many of you feel like, that's a legitimate excuse, right? I mean, you bought land. No? Did you guys want to do a Bible study before I came? All right. It sounds like, wow, you bought land. That's a big, big, I know, big uh, purchase. You need to go check it out. But here, here's the deal. When you look at it like this, how many of you ever bought houses before? Just, or you bought a house with a friend? I mean, somebody. How many of you ever bought a house without ever looking at it? There's a house down on Main Street, you know, corner, and it's beautiful. It's, it's about such and such dollar. Would you buy it? Yes. <laughs> so this man is saying, I bought land, and I haven't even seen it. So either he is dumb, or he is lying. I can't make it. Please excuse me. So what are they telling this host? Oh, great party. I know I said I was going to go, but I can't make it. What is he saying? Basically, I don't want to go. I have more important things to do. Second person. I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Wow, similar idea. In this day, Palestine, they actually sold yoke of oxen. They have a big field, and they see how the oxen work together. So they would plow, and they would let you test drive it. Isn't that funny? It's like going to a Chevrolet dealer. You test drive oxen. Give me keys to oxen number 22 and 25. I would just, I, that's just, I would love to see that. And then they drive around and they say, I like oxen number this and that. I'll take them five yoke of oxen. And he goes, I have just bought them and I'm on my way to try them out. <laughs> and if you buy cars without ever test driving it, you know, go to eBay. Here's a car, looks nice. It's $500. Wow, I'll buy it. No, you, you test drive a car, don't you? If you don't know that concept, please test drive a car before you buy a car. <laughs> so this man is also either lying or both. He's just saying, you're not that important to me. I got more important things. My business, my products, my possessions are more important than you. Third guy, he's even more rude. He doesn't even say, please, excuse me. He just goes, I got married. You know, <laughs> when I read this in my weird head, I'm thinking... It's like saying, are you coming to the party? It's like saying, oh, I, I caught the flu. 
Are you coming to the party? I got married. You know, who does that? Like, I, it, I, I didn't see it coming. It, it, just, it just, a bug bit me and I got married and there's a wife. I mean, that's almost a tone. And in a more serious way, in this village, when you get married, we learned about this at the parable of the wedding, the 10 virgins. How big is a wedding in this time? Huge. The whole town is invited. In fact, there's a procession that says, wedding, wedding. How do you not know that your wedding date is going to clash or your wedding is going to be at the same time as this great banquet? This man simply doesn't care about the host. He may have legitimately gotten married, but what he's saying is, I don't really care about the banquet. And that's Jesus' point. So let's keep going. So the owner gets really upset. How many of you would be upset if 100 people said, yes, I'm coming to your party and no one shows up? Yes, it's okay to be angry. <laughs> you know, even my daughter, if she has a birthday party, 12 kids say yes, and we get the Bozo the Clown named Jason Cope and then the bouncer, and then like nobody shows up. We'd be hurt at the least, right? If not offended. So the owner gets upset and he says, this stuff is not going to go to waste. I love it. Banquet will go on. Whether you come or not, the banquet is happening. Do you hear that in Jesus? So he says, get everybody else. And look at the people he invites. Go get people from the streets, the town, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now think back of why Jesus is saying these people. Invite those who don't have deserve it, who don't earn it, who can't pay you back, who can't have a banquet of their own. Invite everybody because they're going to be invited to this great table. Hmm, where's Jesus going with that? And then the servant comes and says, there's more room. So he says, go to the highways, go to the other towns, and bring them all in. What's the analogy here? Who are those invited first? It's Israel. You were God's people. You were invited to be with God. You were the chosen people so that the Messiah could come. What happened to you? And they said, we got too busy with other gods. We got too busy with other stuff. God, I like you, but I don't need you. I think to the 21st century, it's the church. Church, what happened to us? We were cool. What happened to you? You know, I got too busy. I like church. I like you, God, but I got other important things. So God said, the banquet is still going to happen. If not the church, I'm going to reach out to all those, everyone else. So that's the idea. And then the master says to his servant, go. And then verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This parable has double meaning. One is for the people that's listening at Jesus' time. And it's also telling us about the future, the kingdom of God coming. Who belongs in the kingdom of God? If you notice, it's those people who receive and accept and respond to an invitation. I love that in this parable, it's not people who earned it or were best buddies. It was people who were invited to God. So I want to just share... Um, uh, three, three lessons. There's so many, but I just want to narrow it down to just three lessons. Here's the first lesson. God's invitation always needs to be heeded. Do you see God's invitation in your life? We need to recognize there is an invitation for God. God is not saying, 
get good, get your life straight, and then maybe I'll consider you. What God is saying through this parable is you're all invited. Amen? We're invited. Can you say that? We're invited. If you're in this room, you're hearing this, you have been invited. If some of you are like, I don't know if God loves me. I'm not sure if God wants me in his kingdom. No, if you're hearing this, God is saying to us, you have been invited. This invitation is for all people. And that's good news. It's for the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the wretched people, which I say, amen. (laughs) The good people, which you still need grace of God. And it's for all people to come. And the invitation to the kingdom of heaven, what God, Jesus is trying to say is, it's for the far, it's for the irreligious, it's for the atheists, it's for all people, even those who are self-righteous. It's for you all. Do you see God's invitation? It's not about what you can earn, but you have been invited to be in a relationship with God and his kingdom. We need to hear that. You know, some of us, I think we try to work our way up to God's acceptance. And the point of this parable is you can't. You could only be invited. And the good news is you have been. So Jesus is telling us God's invitation is out there. It's for all people. Um, You know, when we get an invitation, some people respond like this. Well, I'm, I'm pretty moral and I'm pretty religious. Maybe I fit the bill. No, 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 no. The attitude is this. I have been received by God by his incredible grace to his banquet. Who am I to be received? I will go. (laughs) Do you hear the difference? See, in the church, some of us, we actually fool ourselves. I'm I'm talking to the church people now. Those of you who haven't been Christians or church in a while, you're off the hook, man. You're cool. Talking to the church, me. Some of us, we actually believe because we are so churchy, (laughs) we are more worthy of this banquet. And God is saying, no, 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 guess what? You get the same invite as that alcoholic, that heroin addict, that prostitute, the adulterer. You all have the invite. It's not by what you do. It's because of the host's incredible generosity. That's the invitation of God. Wow. And I say again, thank you, God, for your incredible grace to receive me. You know my flaws. So that's Jesus' first point. This invitation, this banquet is for all people. By the way, on this side, isn't it great that the heaven is going to be pictured as a banquet? It's not this hospital waiting room where we just sit there for eternity in cleanliness. It's going to be a good time. And I can't put it into words. I don't even know. But I promise if Jesus made water into wine as his first miracle, I'm not saying there's alcohol. I'm just saying there's going to be a good time. You know what I'm saying? Don't, 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 don't take me out of quote. I'm just saying there's going to be a big banquet It's going to be good. Wow. And Jesus is saying, you don't want to miss it. It's going to happen. So here's the second thing. It gets a little bit more pointed. Jesus is telling us, what are your priorities? Priorities need to be examined. My land, my oxen, and my family. Don't say this. Don't repeat this. But what if we were to say, Jesus, I like you, but my family is more important than you. Would you ever say that? Jesus, I like you. God, I like you. But my business and my career is more important than you. Jesus, I like you and I love you. But 
my things are more important than you. And I don't think people would say it, at least in this room, those things out loud. But here's the thing in America, which I struggle with, we all struggle with. We live that, don't we? Jesus, you've been inviting me. You're the host. You're the guest of honor. I mean, you're the, you're the host. But I have made other things more important than you. And that's the parable, right? I mean, Jesus is saying, you know, I got married. And I want to tell you, we need to say, be honest. Hey, I just talked with somebody recently. I don't want to brainwash you or convert you. I'm not trying to, like, change your mind. I'm just saying, let's keep it real. Let's call it what it is. Just what is more important in your life? And just examine that and let's converse. Just say, my money is more important than such and such. Some of us, God's not even the equation. My job is more important than my family. I love my children, but my, my career, my, my drive is more important. We even have a struggle with that. But where's God fit into this? And Jesus is saying, is God a priority in your life? So some of us, we have to seek this out and say, where is God? And is he really the great, greatest thing? See, in 21st century, I think we, we like a God who we can control. Now, that's not for everyone. If it's not you, then don't be offended. But I want to say, I think we like a God who we can control. Let me put it this way. Let me just read this quote from an article. They surveyed young people, 3,000 young people, and this is a conclusion of the survey. Listen to how young people today view God, which is not limited to young people. This undemanding deity, God, is more interested in solving our problems and in making people happy. In short, God is something like a combination of divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. Did you catch that? How do people view God today? A God who is on call to meet my needs and make me happy, but doesn't interfere with my agendas. I don't think it's just the young people. And we want a God we could control. We don't want a God who we can say, where do I go? And that's the problem of lukewarm Christianity in America. See, you can't have it both ways. God cannot be God and then be in your pocket. God is God, and we follow him, and we are his servants, but you can't make God fit your mold. And that's what the parable is revealing, isn't it? Thank you, host. You're great. I love it. You know, if I had nothing else to do, I'll come, but... Uh, my job, my family, my stuff is more important than you. And when I need you, though, give me some extra food. Give me a doggy bag. And to that, Jesus ends that parable with, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You're not getting a doggy bag. What are your priorities? What are our heart's priorities? So Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You know, I, it's an emphatic statement. So lastly is this, and this gets heavier. I'm so sorry. This, today is going to be one of those, it may be like you're going to walk away and say, that wasn't a feel-good sermon. What's wrong with him? I'm not coming back today, next week. Anyway, that's okay. Uh, that's not okay, but just be honest. Uh, last thing is, a response is needed. 
That's the third lesson I just want to share. From this text, a response is needed. There's an invitation, great. There's an examination of priority, great. But there's a response that's needed. Jesus is saying that in this banquet, no one is rejected by the host. Did you catch that? If you don't make the banquet, it's not because you've been rejected. You don't make the banquet because you rejected the host. And Jesus is saying, let's be clear about this. Uh, so I want to bring up an issue that's really touchy. A lot of people today struggle with this statement. And I'm going to say, quote, unquote, I cannot believe in a God who sends people to hell. Oh, I'm getting real today. I cannot believe in a God who sends people to hell. That statement, I can't believe in a God like that. I like a God who loves everybody and everyone goes to heaven. I want us to be theological and thoughtful. And to do that, I wanted to share an excerpt from a book that we studied a year ago called The Reason for God. And Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis say these two things. That statement is flawed because it assumes that we're just innocent people that God just flicks away when the reality is sin has separated us already and we are running 100 miles opposite from God. And God is trying to reach and save us. But let me read from Tim Keller. So he says this. He quotes C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and this book called The Great Divorce. Hell. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. So hell begins now. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. But you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it. In other words, it consumes you. But just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. This grumbling is a separation from God and it's growing now. It's not a place we go. But hell is an ultimate separation from God and that chasm of sin, it's growing now in you. So Tim Keller responds to that by saying, the people in hell are miserable. But Lewis shows us why. We see raging like unchecked flames, their pride, their paranoia, their self-pity, their certainty that everyone else is wrong, that everyone else is an idiot, all their humility is gone, and thus so is their sanity. They are utterly, finally locked in a prison of their own self-centeredness, and their pride progressively expands into a bigger and bigger mushroom cloud. As Romans 1.24 says, God gave them up to their desires. All God does in the end with people is give them what they most want, including freedom from himself. C.S. Lewis wraps it up even more profoundly. In a short blurb, there are only two kinds of people, C.S. Lewis says. Only two kinds of people. Those who say, thy will be done to God, or those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. I believe in a God who is so holy but so radically loving. He has done everything to prepare the banquet for you and me. 
And he's just simply saying, come. Would you come? And the way we come, just giving you something to handle on, could be simple as saying a prayer, the Jesus prayer that says, Lord Christ Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Where we come to God in his mercy. We recognize that we have hell growing in us. And we're just simply responding to his incredible invitation to know him and to let him be our God. You see, church messed up. If this was a message, be good, start getting your life straight, and maybe God will love you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we are messed up. We are separated from God from sin, and yet he still invites you and me and pays the price. Are you kidding? Have you heeded and responded to that invitation? God, I'm a sinner. In this journey of Lent, what are we doing? We're not just simply getting somber because somebody died on the cross. We're examining our sins, the very sins that caused God to send his son to die for us on the cross. So God is inviting you and me today. And how is he doing it? He's reminding you to come to him through an imperfect, hypocritical church. Yes. You're here. You see imperfection? God's reminding you to go to him through us. You'll never find a perfect church. God's inviting you through hearing the word to come to him. Some of you are being invited and reminded of it because your life is a shamble and you realize you cannot control your life, let alone the world. And God is saying, hello, here I am. His invitation demands a response. And I want to end with this for the church. For the church. So beyond that, if we're cool with that, last thing is, in this purpose parable, we see a purpose for the church to reach those who are not being reached. You see, I, I came to this awesome epiphany that God gave me, and I realized, wow, if we say, like, we got to serve the community, the people in the church say, what about us? What about, you know, who's going to care for us? And I heard that, and I struggled with that. If we just give this church building up and reach the lost and crippled and poor and, and the community, what about us? I heard that a couple of times, that concern, and it's valid. At the same time, this parable reveals something really powerful. Church, where is your reward? It's the banquet waiting for you and me. Amen? It's not in this world. It's not, where is my church and my comfort? Your reward, the banquet has been prepared for 2,000 years. Jesus is saying, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And, and some Christian artist said, if God could create the beautiful world in seven days, can you imagine what he could do in 2,000 years? Church, this building and this stuff is not for you and I. It is for those who Jesus is saying in the parable, bring in the crippled, the lame. If they're not going to come, let's go get to the highways and byways. Amen? This church is not for you and I. It's not gonna, it may not even be comfortable. But when you get to that point, you remind yourself your banquet is not here. He's preparing it up there. And how is that possible? Because somebody left that banquet so that we could be accepted. Somebody was rejected from that banquet so we could be received. And his name is Jesus Christ. As that song Amazing Love says, I was, you've been rejected, I was received. Amazing love, how could it be that, God, you would love a sinner like me? Are you ready for the banquet? 
I pray that this somehow clicks somewhere in all of this. And as we turn our hearts back to God, Lord, I'm in the banquet with you, Jesus. I want others to taste this incredible banquet waiting for them. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for receiving sinners and Gentiles like us. I thank you, God, that your hope, even for Israel, is still today. You have not forgotten them, and you have not forgotten us. I pray that those in this room who feel they've been so far gone from you that they cannot be accepted by you, that lie will be destroyed, that they understand today because of Christ, in Christ, that their invitation is still there. Thank you, Lord. Would you drive this home into our hearts and our lives? And Lord, help us to rejoice in you in the celebration up ahead. And God, keep us humble. Keep us dependent on you. But also help us to be effective as a church that truly reaches the lost and to the ends of the world. We pray all these things in the Savior who loved us. In his name we pray. Amen.